Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. The seed has begun to take root and we're growing in Christ as his word grows in us. Well, that doesn't mean that the enemy can't nab us today and say, oh, that's not for you or that's not important or you can deal with that later or too bad so-and-so wasn't here to hear that. There's so many ways he can just get our mind off the fact that God wants us to deal with the things that he puts before us. Well, In today's broadcast, we have part two of Pastor Sam's message entitled, The Sower, the Seed, and the Soils. We are in Luke chapter eight, starting in verse 11, and we will be considering two of Jesus's parables, the parable of the sower and the parable of the revealed light. So let's listen in. And so the issue here is the seeds, the word, those by the wayside here, and the devil snatches away the word from their hearts. Now, he's not saying we're not responsible for what takes place. Since the devil lies, all we need to do is stand in the truth. So, so since the devil, um, you know, he distorts the word and, and denies the word, all we need to do is stay in the simplicity and truth of the word and, and we'll be fine. And uh, by the way, I think it's important to say Oftentimes this passage is used simply to say, here's what happens when we share the gospel with an unbeliever. And certainly these four responses are what happens. But, but I believe this is true every time we as believers open the word. One of these four things is going to happen. And the fact that we're believers and we've softened our heart to the point where the seed has begun to take root and we're growing in Christ as his word grows in us. Well, that doesn't mean that the enemy can't nab us today and say, oh, that's not for you or that's not important or you can deal with that later or too bad so-and-so wasn't here to hear that. There's so many ways he can just get our mind off the fact that God wants us to deal with the things that he puts before us. Well, first time, by the way, the heart is mentioned in scripture and it's kind of a sad situation. It's in the book of Genesis, of course, in Genesis 6, 5, the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. In that passage, well, it explains to us why the flood came. And this is just prior to the flood. God looks and he doesn't see one heart that's right before him. Well, and then he sees Noah. And Noah does have a heart for the Lord. He does have a heart for the truth. And, and so he gives Noah a, a mission, build an ark, save your family, save the planet, you know, save the animals. And so he's the first to do all of that. Well, in any case, this hardened heart, this, this one that's, that's by the, the wayside, uh, it, it takes us from, from just a heart that's depraved and, and judged to, well, Pharaoh in the book of Exodus. First time you read of a hardened heart is when Pharaoh hardens his heart to God's command to let my people go that they might worship me. And it's interesting because God actually, if you read through that Exodus passage, it says Pharaoh hardened his heart and Pharaoh hardened his heart. And then it says the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And some people read that and say, oh, so it's the Lord. No, the Lord is responding now to Pharaoh who's already responded to the Lord. 
Because the Lord says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, that's not going to happen. And he says, you're going to suffer and your people are going to suffer. And he's like, well, I don't know the Lord and I'm not going to obey him. And so God actually, well, he, what's the best way to say it? He confirms Pharaoh's decision to stand in opposition to him. When it says Pharaoh hardened his heart, it's a Hebrew word that means to callous his heart. And so when it says it first time, it's like there's a callous here as the word of God tries to penetrate. And then the word comes again and he calluses it more and he calluses it more. So the callous gets thicker and thicker and it's harder and harder for the word to penetrate it. I think that happens to us. If we hear the truth and we reject it, well, we're just callousing our heart against the truth. When it says God or the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, it's another word which means to strengthen or confirm. It's like he's saying, okay, I can use you even in your rebellion. I'll use you as a demonstration of what happens when someone in great power and authority rebels against me. Great suffering for him, great suffering for the kingdom. But ultimately, what happens to the people that God said, I want them set free? They're set free. He says, I want them to worship me. They will. Why? Because God is going to have his way. Well, we have the heart then that's deceitful and desperately wicked, not just according to uh, Genesis, but according to Jeremiah. He says our hearts are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And then we have the hardened heart of Pharaoh. And, and as you go through the word, what we see is, is the enemy takes advantage of a heart that is unprepared, that is uncultivated, that, that's already kind of on the beaten path. And, you know, Jesus, as he describes the road we walk, he says there's a narrow and difficult path that leads to everlasting life, one that few find. And there's a broad path that leads to destruction. And he says many are on it. And when I read of this sower on that beaten path, I, I, I picture a lot of people. And, and, and so the bottom line is, if your heart is hardened, well, then pray one of two things. If you're not a believer, I would just pray for a new heart because not just hey, soften my heart or break my heart. But give me a new heart. God actually promises to do that, to take the stony heart out of you and give you a heart of flesh. Now, we're not talking about the pump that's sending blood and oxygen and nutrients throughout our body. We're talking about the seed of our um, decision making process where this truth is being evaluated and where we're either accepting it or rejecting it. He's saying, hey, ask for a new heart. Confess that your heart is hard to the things of God. Well, verse 13, those on the rock are those when they hear, they receive the word with joy and they have no root who believe for a while and in the time of temptation fall away. That this would be the one with a shallow heart. It's the second illustration. It's the, the soil that's uh, there, but, but just not much of it. And the picture is one most of us are familiar with. The person that comes and hears the word, whether you share it with them out there or they come and you get them here and I share it with them. And they respond enthusiastically, emotionally. They're so excited. You're like, whoa, they're more on fire than I am. And, and they're out there. Well, back in the day, 
bumper stickers were big. And I saw people like this. First, it was like there was just Jesus bumper stickers all over their van, you know. And then you see them like three months later and, hey, I haven't seen you at church. What's going on with you? And, and I look at the van and it's save the whales and save the fairy shrimp and, you know, save everything. But, but what happened to save people and, and what happened to Jesus? And what happens is, well, my pastor calls them fire cracker Christians or 4th of July Christians. You know, you go see the 4th of July fireworks. They just light up the sky. They're so bright. You can't even see the stars for a few minutes. And then those things just fizzle and they're gone. Oh, they're bright. They're exciting. They're going for it. And, and then they're gone. Daniel tells us those who are wise will win many souls and, and they'll shine like the stars of the sky forever. So, so we don't want to just be enthusiastic or emotionally charged for the Lord because when the trial, when the test, when the temptation, when the persecution comes and trials, temptations, tests and persecution do come, don't they? When that happens, the one whose whole thing has been superficial because there's no real cultivation of the soil, when that happens, well, they just fall away. That's what he says. In the time of temptation, they fall away. My friend Don Stewart says, some are going to miss heaven by 18 inches. They process this stuff intellectually and they get excited emotionally, but they never really surrender their lives entirely to the Lord. Well, the ones that fell among thorns, verse 14, they're those when they have heard, they go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life, and they bring no fruit to maturity. James would call these the people with a divided heart, a heart for the things of God and a heart for the things of the world. And here's the problem with that. The world is bombarding us 24-7, and uh, we may be planting the word if we're super spiritual, we're doing our morning devotions daily. We may attend some study in the early morning or in the midweek and, and maybe we're praying every night. And when I say super spiritual, you know, I don't believe there are any super spiritual people. They're just people who are walking in the spirit and those who are walking in the flesh. But my point is, if you're doing, well, the best that I see people around here doing, you're in the word every day. But if you're in the word for an hour, you have to think about what's bombarding you all the other hours. Unless you're able to, well, God gave me the coolest job in the world. I read the word and then I just meditate and on all day long. People come in with problems and I'm like, well, the Bible says this. So I'm always able to spend time in the word. I know not all of your jobs allow you to do that. So the very work you do to take care of your families. And the Bible does say, if a man won't work, he shouldn't eat. If a man doesn't provide for his family, he's worse than an unbeliever. He's denied the faith. So fellas, I get you gotta work. You gotta provide. You have to take care of the family. He calls that here the cares of the world. They're not sinful. They're not even negative. They're just the things we have to do. And the reality is an eight hour workday won't pay most of the bills anymore. So lots of guys are working 10 hours and 12 hours and six days a week. And, and so with all that, 
He's just saying those very things, the things you're doing in obedience to the Lord, they can actually compete with the word of the Lord. They can choke out the good seed that God is planting in your heart. He mentions riches next. And by the way, riches can either be a blessing or a curse. It's not that if you have riches, that's bad, or if you have riches, that's good. Riches are a stewardship. Whatever God's entrusted to you, he holds you responsible for. And I've heard it said some people use other people to get stuff. There are some of us who use stuff to bless people. Of course, the second would be the good steward. We realize all I have comes from the Lord. And I know a lot of self-made men. I just did a funeral for a dear friend. He was 79 years old when he passed and knew the Lord. I know he's there with the Lord. But as people testified at his funeral, they were saying he was a self-made man. Yeah, he did a lot. He worked hard, but his talents came from the Lord and his opportunities came from the Lord. He was a steward of those things and he was generous with the things that God blessed him with. But he never lost touch with the reality that it's the grace of God that he had any of that. He could have been born in a third world country. He could have been born with no opportunities or, or, or no, uh, you know, assets or potential for them. So, so the point is riches. Well, it's really our attitude toward riches that determine if those riches are a blessing to us and others or if they're a curse to us. Listen to 1 Timothy 6, 6. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. So he's saying if you're a godly person and you're content, hey, that's as good as it's going to get. We brought nothing into this world. It's certain we can carry nothing out. But having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and snare and into many foolish and harmful lust, which drown men in destruction and perdition. Now, that terminology just sounds devastating. I mean, if somebody was advertising, hey, Come and have this. It's a temptation. It's a snare. It, it, it'll put you in, and grab you into foolish and harmful lust. It'll drown you in destruction and perdition. That isn't exactly how things are marketed in our society. But he's saying the desire for riches do those very things. That's the outcome. He doesn't even say you have to have any riches. Just a heart that says, I got to have, I need, I got to have more. And he says, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness, piercing themselves through with many sorrows. He says the cares can choke out the good seed of the word. Riches or the desire for riches can choke out the good seed of the word. And then pleasures, just living for temporal pleasures leaves little time for spiritual pursuits. And it's easy for me and it's easy for you to evaluate, well, what am I doing with my time, with my energy, with my assets? Because that test says what I really care about. Where am I investing? Well, the ones that fell on the good ground in my prayer, of course, that that's you, that your hearts are well prepared. They're those having heard the word with a noble and good heart. They keep it 
and bear fruit with patience. Remember, he said a hundredfold. That's how we go from a seed to, to a mighty tree. Or that's how we go from an, an orange to, to an orange, um, um, thank you, orange grove. It happens sometimes. It's, it's a mild case of spaced in the grace. And so uh, those who fell on the good ground, that's those they hear and they receive and they get it. By the way, Hebrews 11 talks about a whole group of Old Testament saints that heard the word and responded to it. It took root in their heart and it was evident Starts with a guy named Abel who worshipped by faith. And then there's Enoch who walked by faith and Noah who worked by faith and, and Abe who went out and wandered and waited by faith. All of these witnesses to what it is he's saying he wants to accomplish in us. He wants his word to take root and produce fruit. And that fruit will be a life of faith in him and obedience to him. By the way, there is something else. Eleven of the twelve disciples are those that the word took root in. When I read this, you know, four, you know, hearts and, and you plant the seed, I, I think, geez, one out of four, you know, it makes me feel a little better. But still, it, it troubles me because is the Lord really saying three out of four people we share with, there's no point because they're not going to come around? No, he's not sharing that. He's certainly not saying that. In the disciples' case, he chooses 12 and 11 of the 12, the word takes root and produces fruit. So I like that, those odds a lot better. I mean, that, that's, I'm like, Lord, lead me to the 11 because you know who they are. You know where they are. Well, I, I of course, believe you to be those whose hearts are soft and are prepared and are desiring. You have ears to hear. And so he's saying here. And then he gives us yet another illustration. And it's such an important one. No one having lit a lamp, verse 16, covers it with a vessel, puts it under a bed, but sets it on a lampstand that those who enter may see the light. This falls into that category of you can just learn very practical things from the things the Lord says. Now, there's a spiritual lesson here, but there's a practical lesson. If you light a candle, don't put it under the bed. You see, bad idea. And, and so he says, nobody does that. I don't know. I see houses burning down. And so, but he says, nothing is secret as he shares what he's trying to get at with this, that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. What he's saying is that, that the light that he is shedding on this issue, the mysteries of the kingdom, the truth of what happens when the seed of truth is sown in the hearts of men, it's, it's illuminating. And, and he doesn't shine light that, that people won't see. He's not hiding the light. He's not hiding the truth. So it's another validation that he intends us to understand. Therefore, take heed how you hear. He goes from talking about what we see back to how we hear. If you have ears to hear, he said, let him hear. Now he says, take heed how you hear. For whoever has to him more will be given. And whoever does not have even what he seems to have will be taken from him. And again, what will be the determining factor if our heart is calloused or shallow or divided or prepared? 
Well, our study began with a list of women that had been ministered to by the Lord, freed from demons or healed of diseases, and now they're following after and supporting and ministering to him. It concludes with a group of family and, and, and it's interesting because as I already shared, his brothers at this point aren't believers. Most of us have people that we love who either have professed to know but aren't walking it or just flat out say it's not for me or I don't get it or I'm glad, you know, you found something. All the things people say. But, but take heart and take hope because Jesus' brothers, though they don't believe here, they do believe later. And it's like the life he lived, the example he set, the word he planted, the seed he planted, it was laying dormant for a season. But ultimately, these guys come around and they not only believe, but they serve and they represent and they become a part of the process. His mother and brothers came to him and he could not they could not, verse 19, approach because of the crowd. It was told them by some who said, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered and said to them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. He concludes this section by saying it's not about the natural. It's not about the temporal. It's not about the physical. It's about the supernatural. It's about the eternal. It's about the spiritual. His family will not be just those born of, well, his mom after his miraculous virgin birth. No, his family will be those who hear the word of God and do it. Those who are obedient to it. So here's the good news. If you're a hearer and a doer, if you've believed and received, if you're born again of the Spirit of God, you are not only forgiven by Him, not only a child of God, but, well, we're family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We will always be that. We're connected to every believer who ever lived or every believer who ever will live. We will all stand together in one glorious congregation there at the throne of God, casting our crowns at his feet, worshiping him, crying, you are worthy, you are worthy. So if you haven't given your life to the Lord, let me encourage you today. You were made by and for God, and it's your own sin that's separating you from God. You can say, I don't believe it, or I do believe it. I'm just declaring to you what the scripture says. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that all includes you. If you haven't given your life to him, he says you're still dead in trespasses and sin. But the gift of God is everlasting life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He gives you what you can never earn, what you can never deserve, what you'll never be able to repay. He gives you the gift the free gift of everlasting life, but you have to receive the gift. And as I share this simple truth, the enemy comes and says, that's not for you, or that's not gonna work, or that's not true. No, it's true and it is for you and it will work because he who begins the good work has promised to complete it. You open your heart, you receive the truth, you confess that he, Jesus, died for your sins, was buried and rose again and today, 
He forgives you, adopts you, makes you a child of God, a part of the family of God. He'd say, my mother, my brother, my family here, and you a part of it. The light that is spoken of in verses 16 and 17 of today's study is not a light that we generate or create. This light illuminates our path and shows us the truth that we were unable to see when we were living in darkness. When Jesus lives in us, as we are told in Romans 8.10 that he does, his light is the light that comes from us. His light then not only illuminates our paths, but also shines for those who are in darkness to be seen. This is the meaning of what we read in John 8.12 where it says, Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.